1: Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. While watching the latest Matrix movie, I began to reflect on how I interpreted the series so differently throughout my life. When I saw the first Matrix film in 1999, a lot of it went over my head. My ten-year-old brain consumed it as a very literal action movie about a guy going into a computer world. Then, 8 years later, when I rewatched it for a college philosophy class, I began to question my own reality and started theorizing how the Matrix could be more feasible than I thought. And it wasn't until I began working professionally in the paranormal when I realized that a glitch in the Matrix could be so much more terrifying than seeing the same cat twice a glitch in the matrix is a moment when everything you think you know about reality comes into question something appears out of nowhere something disappears inexplicably someone doesn't look quite right this episode features true stories from people who experienced a glitch in the matrix and that will make you question your own reality First, I narrate a story about a college student who saw something unexpected in their dorm. Then I speak with Jessica Stanton about the unsettling people she's met on different trips. And finally, I tell the tale of a skeptic who found something inexplicable that appeared in their bathroom. Chapter One That's Not My Sweet Mate Submitted by Jonah Lee Hi, At the Sapphire. My name is Jonah Lee, and I've been contemplating sending you my story for a while, but before I tell it, Thank you for being a pioneer in paving the way for more of our cultural representation in the media. I'm always so happy to learn more, talk about, and just express what it means to be Filipino in any way, shape, or form. I always had something my family called a third eye, where in Filipino culture, it meant I was able to see or be more sensitive to out-of-the-ordinary occurrences. For example, I am usually able to correctly guess the biological genders of babies before they're born, communicate with those who have passed via dreams, see people's auras, and sense the presence of spirits. This story happened my sophomore year of college when I was living in a suite-style dormitory on campus. Imagine a mini apartment where we had a common living room, three rooms with two people each, and a shared bathroom. I lived with five other women of color, so we all had the same long dark hair, and since we were all different majors, there were times when I would be the only one in our suite. One day, I was coming back from class and saw two of my mates heading out to their lab, and one getting ready for work. The other two sweetmates were not there and already in class. I conversed with a sweetmate getting ready for work. I'll call her Annie. My shift starts at 3.15, she told me. I looked at the time and it was 2.45 p.m. I was tired, so I told her to have fun at work and headed to my bed for a nap. Our dorm was so small that from my bed, I had a perfect view into Annie's room, I could see her whenever she sat at her desk, with her back facing me, or when she was on her bed. I had fallen asleep with my door open, and upon waking I saw Annie at her desk. I called out and said, Hey! But she didn't answer, so I figured she was blasting music in her earbuds again. I went on my phone for about 15 minutes and looked at the time. It was 4.15. I called out even louder. Hey, I thought you had to work at 3.15. Did you get back early? Still, there was no answer, so I decided to get up and talk to her. But as I looked up, I froze. Although I am nearsighted, I am still able to recognize people from a distance. I realized that the person sitting at that desk was not my sweetmate. The most chilling part that i will never forget was how absolutely rigid this figure was it sat on that chair with perfect posture without any indication of movement whatsoever it didn't seem humanly possible for anyone to be this still i mustered up my courage while still staring at the figure Hello? I laid there for a few minutes, frozen out of fear and unsure of whether this thing would suddenly get up or if I should go over and check. Without taking my eyes off the figure, I slowly got up from my bed and started walking towards Annie's room. I reached the corner of the dorm where the view of her desk gets blocked by the wall, and when I drew a sharp breath in and peered inside... The figure was gone. It was just Annie's empty desk, brightly lit with the lamp she left on. I closed the door to her room and called my boyfriend. I was too scared to be alone, and I wasn't sure if the figure had really left or was still somewhere in our dorm watching me. I told my suitemates what happened. They didn't believe me, saying it was my drowsiness from my nap or the fact that I was nearsighted. But I knew, I knew what I saw. A week later, we had friends over in our common room. And I noticed some of my sweetmates who were in Annie's room hadn't come out for a while. I went in and saw the two of them fearfully praying the rosary at the closet, located on the same side of Annie's desk. I joined them. Afterwards, I asked them what had happened. They said they heard banging from the inside of the closet. So I walked over to inspect it. Nothing. I knew it couldn't have been any of our friends in the common area because no one was hitting the walls or anything to make that kind of sound. Every time I tell this story, I get chills. Remembering how absolutely still that figure was, it makes me wonder why me, why there, and why so motionless for so long. College is a very stressful time. It's most likely the first time you're living without your parents. You're trying to have a social life while also keeping your grades up. That can create so much chaotic energy in a dorm room. And in Jonah Lee's case, it might have been so potent that it manifested in Annie's room. I don't know how things were for Jonah Lee and her roommates for the rest of their time there, But I wonder if that entity was acting as a reminder to slow down, to be kinder to yourself before all the life and joy is sucked out of you and you become a motionless shadow of your former self. Chapter 2. The Black-Eyed Child.
0: Okay. Hi, my name is Jessica Stanton. I am one of the co-hosts of Three Spooked Girls. I grew up in a very strict Christian household, so the whole, like, dichotomy of, like, good versus evil spirits was definitely what I was taught. Like, I grew up hearing about the Holy Spirit and demons and stuff like that.
1: Jessica has had several paranormal experiences throughout her life. Most of them she could write off as the wind or other rational explanation— But in both of the following stories, she is on a trip far from home and has a run-in with someone startling.
0: In 2015, it was in August because it's when my husband's birthday is, and we went to Santa Cruz and we were staying at this hotel that was like on top of this hill, which you had to pass like through a cemetery. And so like one side was like a cemetery and the other side was a hospital um i don't remember the name of it it's a beautiful it's a beautiful place the main like lobby building where they have like a restaurant and like you can have weddings there looks out and you can see the ocean the pool area was very nicely done it was a nice place to stay our room however was just funky like it was like they had all this extra material left over like curtains from one room carpet from another room bedspreads that like they matched each other but did not match the decor it was like they just all threw it into this one room and so i had gotten it off of like you know like hot wire or something like that like a discount site so i'm like oh this is the room they give to people who <laughs> it's the cheaper room now i know it's because it's haunted We had checked into our room and decided immediately to go to the pool and swim. And while we were at the pool and swimming, a phone call was made from our room to the front desk demanding that we change. A male voice demanded that we change our rooms. And we, like, had come back and there was a knock at the door and it was the maid and also, like, a bellman to move our stuff. And I was like, none of us requested to move. This is weird. And I'm thinking at the time, like, they just wrote down the wrong number. Like, it's probably one of our neighbors. Well, we go to dinner and when we're driving back from dinner, we drove past the cemetery and I look over and there's this like, you know, those like solar lights, but it's orange, which I thought was really weird because typically they're white. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. It's orange. So we go back to the room. We have a few drinks. It's my husband, myself, his cousin and his wife because, you know, cheaper to share a room. So we did. So Jennifer is on the inside and I'm on the inside. So we're like, we're the closest to each other. But we're also closer to the middle nightstand, which has the phone on it. And I rolled over and kind of woke up for a minute and saw a man reaching for our phone. He was like orange-ish glow, reaching for the phone. And I'm looking at him and he looks at me. You know, like how your mind just like suddenly like time doesn't exist. So it felt like a long time, but it was probably like 10 seconds. He was wearing a coat. I remember he was wearing like a jacket, like it kind of looked like worker jacket, um, very like rugged material. Uh, He did have a beard, but it was like very well kept. And he looked about 45 to 50. So I was like, oh, it's Santa Cruz. He could be like a fisherman. That was kind of the vibe I had gotten. And then he just, like, faded out of the room and left. So I was like, oh, okay, and then just turned over and went back to sleep. Obviously, he didn't want us there, because he had called earlier to get us removed. But he's very, it seems like he's very polite. Like, he's like, it's cool, like, you're here, I can't do anything. But if I can move you, I will move you. So uh, (laughs) it was... I didn't, obviously I turned over and went back to sleep, so I didn't feel afraid. I feel like if I I was afraid, I would have at least woken my husband up and been like, what's happening? But I know that spirits can feel that that place belongs to them and not others. So I had the feeling that he had claimed that space. You know, I don't know, maybe this was a long time ago and he lived there before the resort was built or he had stayed there. I'm not sure but he obviously felt attached to that particular space and he he's not mean about it at least he shares. When we checked out it was kind of like one of those things when we told them they didn't necessarily go, "Oh, that doesn't happen." They were like, "Oh, that's weird." You know, so it was kind of like you know, it's a nice place, so they don't necessarily want to be known as like the haunted place in Santa Cruz because it's a nice resort and I mean, they do beautiful weddings there and if you thought it was haunted, you might not pay top dollar to get married at that resort. So
1: it wasn't only Jessica who saw someone she wasn't expecting to see. The confusion went both ways. It was as if two separate realities were witnessing a glitch. Luckily for Jessica and the others, the man didn't seem to want to cause any harm. The experience was not as traumatic as it could have been. But what happens when Jessica visits a location that has witnessed so much undeniable darkness? A place haunted by pure evil. We'll find out after the break. Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every day week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel, and also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So, do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. And now, the story continues.
0: My high school did an exchange program with a school in Austria. It was a musical school. Mine wasn't. It was just a regular high school in, like, this little redneck town in Northern California. And I never really got why people from Austria would want to come to where I lived. But I was so willing to go where they lived because it was beautiful. So we went. And one of the things that was on our itinerary is we went to a concentration camp, which is a very heavy thing. And and it was like a really bad day for me, too. I was a little bit hungover. And then just being there emotionally, it's, it's really hard if you um, are sensitive to spirits and... Um, it was very it was very much oppressive and like they took us around places so they actually took us into like the gas chamber and shut the door and then we went into like a barrack where they had all the bunk beds which just i have a feeling it looked and felt a lot different during its actual operation because now it's clean and sterilized and they clean up after all the tours each day so it seemed kind of bright and sunny but I was standing against a wall and the way that I felt was so oppressive if that makes any sense that I actually had to like sit on the floor like and I was like like tears were coming out of my eyes because I could just feel like the pain and the anguish that was happening and this particular concentration camp is called um Monhausen. And it was particularly bad because they had this, like, rock quarry, and they would have the prisoners carry 200-pound boulders up, these, like, huge, big rocks on their backs up. And the guards were so horrible for sport, they would just come along and whack them in the leg so that they would drop it. And a lot of times the fall would kill them because they were so, like, emaciated. But then they would kill several people behind them because the rocks would, it would just be a pile-up. So they had a very big cemetery. And this the people who've taken over and and kind of done it, they've redone the cemetery. They've tried to give everyone a headstone. I mean, it was so many, but they... We're really trying to turn it into, like, a place of remembrance and make it um, a little bit more, like, reverent to what these people went through. And I was standing there, and this other kid who was standing there, and his name is Chris, and we were standing near each other. And I well, to kind of preface, I was a docent in high school for, like, a local Adobe. So I would dress up in, like, period garb and, like, act for, like, kids who came through. Their school would come through and we would pretend we were in the 1850s and make bricks and stuff like that so when i turned and i saw this kid in like one of the striped outfits that's where my mind went was like oh they have reenactors which i was like that's really weird that they have children but then i'm like staring at him and it just doesn't feel right so i say to the guy next to me do you see that and he's like yes so we both just like instinctively started walking towards the child and the child walked straight ahead and walked between two buildings so we followed and when we got to like where we could see down into the alleyway between the two buildings the child stopped turned and looked at us had completely black eyes like a freaking terrifying smile and then just walked into the building So I'm thinking there's a door. And I'm like, oh my God, somebody is like at this point, like my mind is like, what did I just see? Is this a prank? And so we walked down and it was just a solid brick wall. There was no doorway. There was nothing. I was really freaked out by it. I was like, this is not right. And the fact that it had like a grimace on its face and the black eyes. I mean, my mind at 16, not understanding what different types of paranormal were out there, I was like this is, this is a demon. That's what this is. That's where my mind went. Like, that's a demon child. But that was, for me, like, defining my view of the paranormal. That was my really first big understanding that there's other things out there besides, like, angels and demons. I didn't even realize what it was until we started the podcast because when we very first started our podcast, the first episode we ever did was on Black Eyed Children. And I was like, That is what I saw. If I was an entity and I needed energy to pull off of to, like, manifest myself, a concentration camp would be the perfect place to do it because you're right there.
1: Black-eyed children have become more well-known over the last couple of years due to the many encounters circulating the internet. As the story goes... Two children will knock on the door of your home or vehicle and ask for your permission to enter. They look like normal children with one very notable exception. They're completely blacked out eyes. If you let them in, they will bring misfortune, sickness, and even death. Entities that look like children require extra precaution, they may be something taking on the appearance of a child to lure you into a false sense of safety. This particular child was leading Jessica and Chris somewhere before disappearing. And they both came out of that moment shaken and disturbed. Perhaps whatever this child was wanted them to catch a millionth of a glimpse of the darkness that so many innocent people experienced there. Jessica and her co-host Tara make sure to bring that level of empathy to their own paranormal and true crime podcast, Three Spooked Girls.
0: Like, obviously when you're telling someone's story like Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer or someone like that, you have to tell their story because they're what people are interested in. But... You know, when we did Ted Bundy, we made time to make sure we read every single victim's name. We talk about it and we try to talk about as many victims as we can get backstories on. Also, I think with cold cases, we love to share them because what if somebody who's listening to us hears the story and goes, oh, that's I'm from that area. Oh, my God. I know that I saw something. I never knew like they didn't connect it.
1: Make sure you check out their show, and who knows, maybe you can one day help solve a case. Chapter 3. I Wouldn't Have Believed Me. Submitted by Jordan. Sapphire. My partner and I are new fans. Having followed Elliot and Ricky for a while now, we were thrilled to discover you. Side note for my listeners, Elliot is my husband who has a channel called Internet Today. I do not tell many people about my experiences and I definitely do not submit them for entertainment, but your videos made me feel differently about it all. So here I am. I had a few comforting experiences after my grandfather died, and they were as strange as they were lovely. He's turned lights on and off when asked. I've smelt his cologne in an empty house where no one else wears that scent, and he once hit my bed with his cane during a particularly dark period in my mental and physical health. It was a loving kick in the butt. It is the experience I have absolutely no explanation for that I'm writing to you now. I've been a photographer for 27 years, and I am fascinated by entropy in all its forms. Abandoned buildings are by far the most prolific and accessible display of the entropy of our creations. So I was thrilled when I discovered a small grouping of abandoned buildings not far from my parents' southern New Jersey home. I decided to investigate it one day, and after not finding any no trespassing signs, I began to poke about. Many of the doors to the buildings, most not much larger than a sizable storage shed, were ajar. I snapped a few shots and wandered to the largest building, which turned out to be a tidy and understated church. After about 30 minutes, I wrapped up and went home. I had gotten a bit muddy and took a shower to clean up. I closed the door to the bathroom as I walked into the bedroom to get dressed, and as soon as it latched, there was a bang against the door. It shook and I jumped, letting out a very startled yelp. As much as I did not want to, expecting to see the large mirror destroyed or the like, I slowly opened the door to find nothing out of place. As I closed the door from inside the bathroom to check the towel racks behind it, I discovered three large black marks running down the back of the door for nearly two feet. While I was raised lackadaisically Jewish, we were mostly a family of secular agnostics. No one else was home at the time, so I got dressed and booked it to a local shop specializing in the supernatural. I purchased burning sage and cleansed the house as best I could without much knowledge of such things. I never spoke of it to my parents. Thankfully, there were no more ominous incidents after that. I began to ask permission to any land that is connected to people passing. I photographed several cemeteries since this incident and I'm always careful to speak kindly and ask permission from the residents. So far, it seems to have worked and I'll continue to ask permission from abandoned spaces or consecrated grounds for the foreseeable future. Eleven years later, and I'm still not sure what to make of it all. I know what happened and what I saw, but if someone else had told me this story, I would be quietly and, yes, hypocritically, skeptical. When things show up in threes, marks in particular, it's sometimes thought of as a sign of a demonic entity because it's mocking the holy trinity. That doesn't necessarily mean that what made these marks was a demon, but whatever it was definitely wanted attention. I think it's really magical that despite not having a deep religious upbringing, Jordan was able to intuitively figure out a plan of action to make sure they ask permission before entering a space that is not theirs. Hopefully, that's enough to prevent that incident from ever happening again. We are the most present when we are confronted with information that is completely new. It's why travel is so exhilarating, why learning a new skill is so engaging, why being a kid is so exciting. A glitch in the matrix forces you to be fully present in the moment. I think that's why so many people are drawn to the paranormal and hunt for ghosts. It's our own form of mindfulness. We are craving to be fully present. So whether you're stressing out in college, being confronted with a dark piece of the past or entering unknown territory, pay close attention to the moments that scare you. They are trying to teach you something. Thanks for joining me today. Have you ever witnessed a glitch in the Matrix? Send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash storieswithsapphire to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe to youtube.com slash where I post animated spooky stories and more. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sandalo. Music written by Sapphire Sandalo. Special thanks to Jonah Lee, Jessica, and Jordan. For more information on this episode and my guests, visit storieswithsapphire.com.